Welcome to Truth Nation, episode six. My name is Bill Bodner. With me is the chief, Mark Garrett. Chief, were you part of the, uh, were you trained with the U.S. National Cycling Team? Do I have that right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. This is about 600 years ago, but yeah, U.S. Okay. National Bicycling Team. Did you have any affiliation with Lance Armstrong when you were on the team? Well, he was no, that was a as a matter of okay. fact. You know what? It's, it's so interesting you bring that up because I was as clean as they come in the sport of cycling, and I was around a lot of drug use and um, never touched anything you couldn't buy over the counter at GNC. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a comment in our uh, Twitter feed. You're looking pretty jacked, I guess. I don't, I don't know exactly. what, what the uh, well. What the I think here's the confusion. Here's the confusion because at some point in the past, I was actually a female, and so that's what <laughs> right. happened. And so people were right. a little confused. I understand, but but uh, yeah. Matter on of that fact, note, yeah, I put this. I put I put the Saran Wrap shirt on today just to just to piss off the people who said that I was on steroids. But <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. Hey, today, Mark, we're going to talk about social media child sexploitation and drugs. And I think the, the important thing for us to talk about is, is Section 230 actually protecting the people perpetrating these crimes? And is it endangering our children? And when, if you were to look at this, or actually when I first looked at this topic from the outside, I thought, man, here is something that Mark and I may disagree on pretty strongly because I feel like in this space, and I know, I know you're not a big government regulation guy, you, you're on the record saying there should not have been a national speed limit in 1974. It's unconstitutional. But, but I thought, hey, this is something where we need more regulation. It's an emerging space. Our kids are at risk. And the point of today's show is I want people to understand, if you take nothing else away, take this story that I'm going to tell in the first 10 minutes and understand it is actually a law that's on the books now that's enabling this. In my opinion, Section 230, a law that is on the books now, is actually being misapplied, and that is what is endangering our children. So the reality is, Mark, we may end up agreeing that we need less regulation in this, in this space. Uh, we need to let the free market kind of decide what's appropriate and what's not. We need to put some of the liability on the uh, social media platforms and, and kind of see if that will even the playing field a little bit. So I'm going to tell a story. I don't want to give too much context, but, but I have to give a little. So, so there's, there's a current lawsuit in Los Angeles County Superior Court. It is 65 families who have lost children to fentanyl that was sold over Snapchat. Okay. They sued Snapchat and the the kind of basis of their lawsuit is their claim is that it's a, it's a, well, I guess the way to put it is it's a product liability lawsuit. What they're saying is this is an unsafe product. Uh, Snap, the, the parent company, knows it's unsafe and continues to market it to children. It was thought that Section 230 would protect Snap from any potential litigation. A couple of weeks ago, a judge ruled and said this case will go forward. So it's really a groundbreaking decision. And I want to now tell a story about something that came up in this lawsuit. Some of the contention, but there's a couple hotly contested kind of issues in this lawsuit. One is a specific feature of Snap called Quick Ad. And what that is, is it's Snap's algorithm. And let's not, let's not even call it an algorithm today. Let's call it artificial intelligence. It's the artificial intelligence that Snap uses 
to match people with users and build their network. So if I'm a user on Snap, it's going to make suggestions who my friends should be. How the artificial intelligence is making those suggestions, what data it's looking at to make those suggestions is a hotly contested topic in this lawsuit. Another issue, and we're going to hold this one till the, till the very end, and that's my, that's my tease to get people to watch the whole show or listen to the whole show, whole show today. It's called Snap Maps. And ladies and gentlemen, I will explain to you how drugs are being trafficked, how drugs are being sold to children on Snapchat with that Snapchat, Snap Map feature. And it's fascinating. Parents out there, if you have a teenage child, a soon-to-be teenage child, listen to this podcast because it will change the way you parent and change the way you handle social media in the, in the home. So this, the plaintiffs, let's call them the plaintiffs, group of parents, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit were, in their opinion, probably given my read of the, of the documents in the lawsuit, given the runaround by SNAP. They were, they were wanting answers about how the artificial intelligence works. So here's what they did, Mark. They went out, they bought a brand new telephone, never before used. They put a brand new telephone number on it, never before used. They sat down, they downloaded Snap on the phone. They, they created a new account with a new email address, never before used to anything, not connected with anything. They identified as a 16-year-old female, okay? So their idea, Mark, was to give the platform, to give the artificial intelligence as little information as possible about who they were, other than they're a 16-year-old female, and let's see who that artificial intelligence matches us up with or invites to be friends with us, who they suggest we should be friends with. So they did this experiment, and you know, as they joined, of course, the, the app, as we all know, it asked, do you want to sync contacts? Now, just to be clear, they had no contacts in this phone, but they said no, they didn't want to sync contacts anyway. Again, the goal to give that artificial intelligence as little information as possible. They join, within minutes, they have 200 quick ad requests. That is 200, the, the artificial intelligence selected 200 people and recommended them to be their friend. Here's what they got. Plaintiff alleges that many of the quick ad recommendations appeared on their to belong to predatory users based on terms and emojis indicating sexual solicitation and drug trafficking. A few days later, so they didn't accept any of these friend recommendations right away. They waited for a few days. A few days later, several of the friend recommendations were accepted, and almost immediately, this user received nude photos, and in one case, a video of an adult male Snap user masturbating, right? So here's the issue, Mark. I want people to understand that this is not a public bulletin board where people post things for, for other individuals to search for. This is not an internet service provider like Spectrum or Frontier who has no responsibility for what other people are posting on the internet. This is artificial intelligence. What it's be, you know, what specific things it's using to make these these friend recommendations, we don't know. But think of this, Mark: a 16-year-old female, the algorithm, not the 16-year-old female, but the artificial intelligence or the algorithm, put her in a position where 
predatory people were Im almost immediately in contact with her when she, when she joined the platform. Now, one further thing, I'm going to go back in time. That was, in, that, that was done just last year. That was an experiment they did, quote, an undercover experiment they did in June 23. When two years earlier, a group, this same group of parents or some of these parents, it's not really clear to me exactly who, met with SNAP. And I'm going to read to you a quote from the lawsuit. And again, I'm doing this because right up front in this show, I want people to understand what the danger is that's out there and how your children don't have to be seeking these things out. The artificial intelligence is actually doing the, the seeking and forwarding and pushing this content to them in many cases without them even requesting it, looking for it or anything. So in April 2021, three SNAP, SNAP executives uh, met by Zoom with a group of parents, and these are parents who lost their children to fentanyl poisoning. The SNAP executives in attendance were Jennifer Stout, Sophia Gross, Aaron Altshuler, and there was a group of maybe 10, 10 or 7 to 10 parents who had lost children. The vice president of global safety, Jennifer Stout, started the meeting by telling the parents, and this is in the court documents, that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act immunized SNAP from civil liability. She said that SNAP is a host company and it is not responsible under Section 230 because the creators are the ones posting content and not Snapchat. She also uh, repeatedly referred to SNAP as a small company, and I just threw that in there because it seems a little disingenuous. Mark, this I company so. has, the, the company has over $27 billion market cap right now, right? It's a $27 billion company. So SNAP, in SNAP's opinion, they are completely immune from civil liability. So Mark, what motivation do they have to, to stop this? We saw this in our, what, second episode with Crime of the Century. Right. When there's no motivation, hey, they're trying to maximize the value of the company. They're trying to maximize profits. Uh, their algorithm, according to the court documents that I looked at, is pushing dangerous content to children. And they're telling parents, hey, it's not us. We're immune. Does that, does that blow your mind like it, like it blew my mind when I first saw that? Well, you know what? Given, given what we've seen over the last decade, especially in social media. I'll be honest with you, Bill. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't blow my mind. It disgusts me because this is, in other words, we're kind of used to this trend now. We're, we're used to social media platforms, algorithms, which we talk about, you know, offline with their own show and things like this. Everybody does who hosts a podcast or is on social media, things like this. So we're kind of used to, these systems what's happened now is of course with ai it's accelerated at way more than than, than lightning speed of course i think it's important mm. to go back and give a little bit of foundational information about 230 though mm -hmm. as we talk about this about really the origins because it goes back almost 30 years to mid 90s when the legislation the, the genesis of the legislation about 230 and i have some of that I know you do too in front of me. We're, we're, we're both looking at so much information because there, there is endless information about 230 and about social media algorithms and about AI. There's so much. Try to boil it down. But but you go back, and i you know got my hot little hands here, my articles here. It's like, what is Section 230? So in 96, 
Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which you referred to, helps protect online companies from liability arising from what is posted on their platforms. Many experts point to Section 230 as a foundational component to how the internet works today. So there are a few things here, and this is really important for, for our audience and, and for us to really appreciate and understand. So Section 230 provides immunity to internet companies in two ways, provider or user of an interactive com computer service, basically an online platform, can't be treated as the publisher or speaker. Now, this is important. So the provider, the platform, cannot be treated as the publisher. In other words, they cannot be treated as the author of the creator of the content. They're only a conduit. They're the pipeline carrying the water. They don't own the water, so to speak. I mean, just try to put it in simplest terms that even I can understand. Um, of information provided by a third party. Two, providers and users of interactive computer services can't be liable for voluntarily taking down content if the provider believes in good faith that the information is obscene or otherwise objectionable. In other words, this legislation gave the ability to company like companies like Snapchat, like Snap, or all the other platforms mm -hmm. to take down things they deem obscene. This is really, really important. This was an off-ramp, so to speak, for companies to clean things up that they thought were being posted on their platforms or via their platforms that were obscene. This goes back to what you're talking about right now with this male adult masturbating to someone who think he thinks is a 16-year-old female. But it, apparently, Snapchat left, 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 Snap left it up there. So... There's more, and I have I have plenty, but I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, dominate the airtime here. Want to go back and forth, but I have some more stuff here about what what two thirty does. But the, basically, it says that these platforms are not the publishers; they're not the creator of content. So generally, they cannot be held liable for what's on there. And there are some exceptions we can get into more. So, so um, my, my my question about that though, because. When I look at it, and, and, and first off, in 95, 96, we, we first have to think about what platforms there actually were back then. Right. And did we have artificial AI deciding what would be pushed to people back then? And finally, my understanding of it almost was like when this law was created, that it was really designed. Now, now we're using the word platform today. But I don't know that that word as a as an entity even, you know, existed. I don't know if there was really such a thing as uh, a social media platform back then, besides maybe AOL or something like that. W was not the, the, the reason this law, wasn't it created to protect ISPs or internet service providers, almost like the Spectrums, the, the Frontiers, the AT&T, the Verizon? the people who were providing the, quote, bandwidth to put this message out there and not so much the company. Because it gets, I, I almost feel like a law has been taken and these platforms have, and I, and I don't know how they've been allowed to get away with this, but I almost feel like they've now, they weren't around in 95, 96, but I feel like they've taken the lead in, in redefining what, what a provider is, what a service is versus what an actual product is. And, and I almost think of it like, I don't know, if you're, a, if you're a magazine, right? 
and you have in a writer, but if this writer is a freelance writer, Mark, they write for all different magazines. They're not an employee of yours. They write an article, you buy it, you publish it. And this is the old days, Mark, you mail that magazine out by US mail. My thought on this law or section 230, when it was written, not how it's being interpreted today, but when it was written is that it was to protect the mail, the carrier service. In this case, it's almost the magazine getting protection where they're saying, we didn't write this article, we're just housing it on our pages. It's just on our pages for anyone to see, but we didn't write it, so we're immune. And that step or that interpretation, I feel, is completely inappropriate for what a social media platform is today. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're, we're having so many issues. In, in your read on 230, am I off base on that? Have you seen an interpretation similar to mine, or, or do you think it, it, it was intended to protect to protect the, the AOL back then, I guess, or, or what today is a platform? Well, it, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison to the U.S. Postal Service, but here's what I'll say about the U.S. Postal Service. In other words, if you write a fraudulent check to somebody or, or let's just say a fraudulent check and you mm -hmm. send it through the mail, you've committed two felonies. One is the, is the, the forgery on the check, right? The second is you committed mail fraud. So anytime you use the postal system to commit a crime, you know, through their service, it's, it's a federal offense. It's, 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 it's mail fraud in addition mm -hmm. to the underlying crime. The difference here, and I think the, the reason the 230 came into existence, Bill, is because unlike the U.S. Postal Service that can't, well, as far as we know, that can't actually look into your, into an envelope your your other than x-raying things like that for hazardous materials or stuff like that they don't look at at every piece of correspondence or i hopefully any correspondence that's that's in an, an envelope in a container there's no way there's no way the postal service should know what's in a supposedly confidential container right mm -hmm. the difference here is that anything that is posted on any platform any email or any image, any correspondence theoretically can be seen by electronically by, by the provider. Now, I could be wrong about that, about emails. I like guess theoretically that should be confidential. They can't see them. But not too long after this 230 was enacted, I mean, we got into social media very, very quick in, in the mm -hmm. early 2000s. And we know for a fact by the way, through algorithms, even before AI, we know for a fact that these platforms manipulate manipulate things based on content and based on networks uh, for advertising purposes, just like television does, even before artificial intelligence. So we know there's a there's a hand and there's there's an active part of social media that's not part of what. Um, you know, historic mail service, things like that, the, the uh, comparison you made. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a fair comparison, but not a complete comparison. There's an active role, and this is why 230, this is why 230 even became an issue, the idea of 230. How do we regulate? How do we deal with internet providers? Because it's an electronic uh, platform that 
understandably, the providers can actually see. Mm -hmm. So we know, again, we know factually that these things are manipulated. I say manipulated doesn't mean it's evil, but they are actually modified and manipulated for, for, for income, for advertising, for networking, things like this, everything from Twitter to LinkedIn to, of course, Facebook and, and, and everything else in meta. So that's the difference. But the reason that 230 was there was to cut a deal with these providers. Okay, we won't hold you accountable for illegal content, obscene content, if you don't manipulate unfairly content that is posted and you don't allow the obscene or inappropriate content to be pro posted. That's what we're getting into now from my point of view is that the these platforms, these providers have not lived up to that end where they have been objective when mm -hmm. it comes to things that they don't agree with or do agree with. We know for a fact they've not been objective there. So they've not lived up to that part of the bargain. I would agree with that. And, and let me also say this, Mark, and I think you kind of touched on it there. The goal of the algorithm, and, and we, we, like I said earlier, we talk about this anytime it's big business and there's the potential for people being harmed. As users, we have to remember the goal of the algorithm is to build engagement around the platform. Whatever platform it is, the goal of that algorithm is to drive content, push content in such a way that it builds engagement because that's how they monetize the platform. That should be a little scary to people because there's also, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, when I say that a 16-year-old or someone identifying as a 16-year-old female, I don't know, it's not clear from the court papers if this was really an adult doing like an undercover thing. I don't, I'm not saying that Snap purposefully pushed pornographic or sexually explicit content to a 16-year-old. What I'm saying is that they need to acknowledge that there's unintended consequences. When they have an end goal in mind of creating engagement, and that's what the algorithm is geared upon, that artificial intelligence, and by the way, you were making a distinction later, I mean earlier, about AI versus the algorithm. No, in my world, no. AI, the, the, the algorithm 10 years ago was just more basic artificial intelligence than it is today. It is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. When... I, by the when, way, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. When, that, when that artificial intelligence is driving content, there are going to be unintended consequences. And I understand that. But what we need is we need platforms to then make adjustments to it. And I don't know, there's, there's a part I found of Section 230. And let me know, hopefully this is accurate information. I'm sure you'll let me know if it's not. And it's, it's in quotes here. You know, the, the, the part that I didn't hear you mention is even if the provider fails to take action after receiving notice of the harmful or, or, or offensive content. So what this is saying is if, if uh, in the case that I talked about, um, a male adult sending sexually explicit content to a 16-year-old girl, if there was a complaint made to the platform, about that and they did nothing mark they did absolutely nothing and that person sent content to additional people the company or according to section 230 the way it's written now 
that company would still not be liable for any civil damages. To me, that's crazy. That, that's absolutely crazy. Am I wrong about that part of the law? Did you see that? No, I mean, that in last... my opinion, you know, we, you opened the show talking about, you know, my opposition to the federally mandated 55 mile an hour speed limit 50 years ago right. or so. And I absolutely still am opposed mm-hmm. to, to that. Doesn't mean that I'm opposed to the federal government being involved in, in certain aspects of our lives. And this is one where I think because of the nature of the nature of the internet, social media, that it is totally appropriate. But yeah, I think you're, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It is crazy that according to what you said, and again, I don't have that one in front of me about two thirty, and these companies not being held civilly liable, even if they don't take action when quote unquote, I put quote unquote, they're for a reason, harmful content, because what is harmful content? I think there's some things that anybody anybody mm-hmm. with two brain cells and and just a little bit of introspection can agree is harmful especially you're talking about children but the idea that they wouldn't be held liable civilly when something like this uh, if this is an example mm-hmm. that is mind-blowing that is shocking to me and mark how about the the, the piece with you know the, the what i've heard over the years is the, the comparison to a town square right that it's just the, the the platform is just a town square where people come to post information and they can see what other people are thinking, what other people are posting. But do you feel that when once a provider, once a platform starts determining what it's going to push, and and if they push something that's harmful, don't you think that 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 coverage of Section 230 should dissolve because how, if it's their art, if it's their algorithm, if it's their computer program mm-hmm. that is pushing this content out to children, it's not children searching for it, right? You know, it's not children happening to see it. It's uh, being purposefully sent to them by an algorithm who doesn't know probably that it's dangerous. I'm assuming. All it knows is, hey, if I push this, science data tells me I'm going to build engagement, and that's what the creators want. Well, of course, Bill, and this goes right back to the very genesis, the very beginning of 230 in 1996, and the word publisher is is what, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer, you know, I, but this is what it all hinges on. Once you start pushing and even if, as you said, even if you start knowingly allowing AI to manage your platforms, to me, that is, you know, in other words, it's it's culpability just by by ignorance or by default. That in, that, in my opinion, that it really is publishing. In other words, you're taking part in actually in actually creating the content you are a part of that creation process if you learn if you allow these systems like you said algorithm ai you know the old algorithm before ai was just a, a, a you know just the beginning of what we consider mm-hmm. ai now it was all ai that is a part of the publishing process that is it that to me is a willful intent to provide information to to users 
and not just at, to be a conduit. You are in the creation process. There's no doubt in, in my mind, in my mind, and again, that's just my opinion. Maybe right. I'm wrong and maybe somebody's actually gone to law school and has more common sense would disagree with me. But that's what, to me, what it hinges on is the word publisher. That's what right. it comes down to. So I, I, I mean, can, can you turn AI, AI off if you are Snap or any, any other? I, I don't, I assume I mean, you, you can. Your, your business goes away. You, you can't because yeah, your business. This goes, is what it comes no. down to, Bill. Right. Your business goes away. Right. So, so that, that's what we're left with here. Is, is it a willful decision? Is it a willful decision to let these systems run completely autonomously in exchange for making more money? That's what it comes down to. Now, listen, you're right. 30 years ago, when 230 came into existence, nobody, nobody, I don't think, well, maybe a few people in the world could have envisioned what we're dealing with now with AI. But, 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 but here we are. So do we modify 230? Do we have to catch up now with the scientific realities that these platforms, these, these, these providers are dealing with? Probably, and I have some of those proposals in front of me about modifying 230, but Talk it comes to down that. to, again, are these platforms, are these providers part of the creation and dissemination or creation process, or are they not? I argue they most certainly are. I would argue they are too. And I don't know, when you use the word creation, it's tough. Like I can see, I can see some smart lawyers making a strong argument that these platforms are not in the creative process. They're not in the creative process. But where I think the liability should come back in is when the company takes an active role. In, and it's not just my thought on the origin of 230 was, the, the, I probably already said it five times, but the, the public bulletin board, putting something up where people can see it. Look at it like Craigslist, Mark, in 1995. If you were looking for something, you get on the computer, you search for it. So you took a proactive step to search for it. Now, if you got something back that was illegal, harmed you, whatever, well, well you still searched for it. You know, what I'm saying, where I feel like there should be a strong case that this protection gets dissolved is when the company is pushing content to you that you did not search for. You did not seek it out. And when that content is dangerous and it harms you and you never looked for it in the first place, you never gave any indication that you wanted anything to do with it and you're harmed by it, you have to have some recourse against the person that forwarded that to you. That's what, that's what I feel. Tell me about, because I have not done a lot of research on what options are out there or, or what potential there is to, to move away from this or craft this in a way that it kind of addresses today's technology a little better. Well, by the way, the, the way you actually put the word creation into context was, was, was better than what I said. And when I said creation, you're right. Listen, someone, someone actually puts together some content and they post it. That's creation. I think what I was talking about, and I'm glad you clarified this. In other words, it's the creation of the relationship. And this is what you said about, I wasn't asking for this. I'm, right. like, I'm 16 years old. I, I'm not looking for a 45-year-old man to show me his general tools. I, I, I didn't ask for any of this. You, you facilitated this coming into my device 
right. without my request. And that's a that's a long throw from where we were 30 years ago with 230. So hey, hey, and you know, before before we jump on it, let me mention something else too, Mark, is um, you know, and this is not a section 230 related problem, but and I hope I didn't throw you off your your thought process there. But no. you know, age verification. Like just mm -hmm. in, in general, in a general sense, Mark, do you feel like a 13 year old should be able to get, and here's an example I gave, I did a piece for a local TV show here last week about this very issue. And I said, when a teenager goes in a liquor store and tries to buy alcohol, they're asked for ID, or let's say they're just asked for their birthday. Mm -hmm. If they give a birthday that says they're 14, they're not told, oh, try again. And then they give one, oh, okay, I'm 16. No, try again. Well, I'm 18. Try again. I'm 21. Got it. You're good to go. <laughs> there, there's no age verification process on here now and no parental consent needed at all. And no, really, you know, one of the allegations against SNAP that I read in the court documents, and it wasn't, it was very, let's say it was a, it was a loose allegation. It was that, Perhaps, I'd be careful how I say this, perhaps there, there's things called third-party monitoring tools. So as a parent, you can buy these tools, you can put them on your child's phone, and you can monitor what they're doing on social media. Mm -hmm. One of the questions in the lawsuit, I'll put it that way, one of the questions in the lawsuit is, does SNAP actively try to thwart these tools by reprogramming and doing software updates? If that's happening, again, that, that's a situation where parents are trying to take an active step in parenting and prevent harm, and this company is circumventing that or thwarting that, but then at the same time telling them, we're, hey, we're not responsible. The other thing specific to SNAP, and then we'll, we'll move on from it, is the disappearing message, like the feature that's so right. key to their sales, to what they do, to how they, to how they have interest with this younger generation. And I think I saw some SNAP documents that, that suggest that maybe 90% of teenagers, uh, 13 to 17, have a SNAP account. The disappearing message feature is, is a fascinating thing because in this case of the 16-year-old girl, the sexually explicit material that was sent to her, a parent gets involved, a parent... Now, that, I... You know, Mark, that's a serious crime, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's a serious crime. You're using the internet to send sexually explicit sexual data content to a minor, guess what? It's gone. As mm -hmm. soon as the 16-year-old the girl opened it and looked at it, it, after that, it disappeared. It disappeared off the server. It snapped the same time. So there's no record of it anywhere if someone wanted to pursue a criminal case or a civil case against the creator mm -hmm. later. Is that something that in the internet space needs to be addressed? Like, does there have to be, do you think some type of records retention or age verification things or parental monitoring tools? How do we protect our children with technology moving so fast? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And from a technical point of view, a lot of this is over my head. I know we have, we have, it's over my head that, too, but I mean, yeah, that, that Anthony let, let's not let that stop us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm going to give my opinion, damn it. You better listen, although I don't know what I'm talking about. Look, 
So we have Anthony and, and Vince back there, our producers, our social media guys, things like this, because we don't know what the hell we're doing when it comes to, to getting this stuff done. Thank God for those guys. And so, but from from a logical point of view, look, let's go back to, to that feature about the deletion, the disappearing mm -hmm. information. That was Snapchats. That was their initial selling point. That yep. was their market niche. Yep. And look, from a free market point of view, because I'm a free market kind of guy, I say, so be it. If that's your selling point and people want to use that platform, that's fine. However, however, just like you said about some, an underage kid going in to buy a six pack of beer or something like that, there are specific laws that are, that they're statutory. Listen, you're 18, you're 21, you have these things that, that are statutory that affect only a certain segment of the population. Again, talking about, about, about age right here and we we've all had to you know you're whatever it is you're doing a financial transaction online you know, with your bank or whatever it is we've all had to do the the identification verification process electronically mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. probably listening to this has had to do that at one point or another for for legitimate you know uh, basic wholesome reasons Mm -hmm. Why that would not be a requirement with any provider when it comes to sense information for um, obscene information, whatever it is, is beyond me. I don't have the answer to it, but I, I agree with you. It should be part of the process. And again, that was that that Snapchat deletion feature. That was their market niche, which accelerated their growth as a company. Again, philosophically, I don't have any, philosophically, I don't have any problem with it. Just like I don't have any problem with a 21 year old buying beer. Mm -hmm. However, going back to what you said, for certain cases, there absolutely ought to be a verification process. And maybe that'll come out here in this, in this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So, so what about modifications to 230, Mark? So where, you know, where, where, up can, this, where, can, this, where can we go? Yeah, you know what? I put up an article. It's actually it's it's so weird. It's so scary to say it's two years ago because mm -hmm. it is February eighteenth, twenty twenty two. From the Hartford is the publication, and uh, I was reading about two thirty and things like this. It's almost already two years old. Seems like it's yesterday, but a couple of things they were talking about. Now again, <clears throat> this is really be, be before the, uh, you know, this revelation, but <clears throat> this evolution of AI, things like this, but talks about the future of 230 because we're pretty good. Even two years ago, we're kind of getting close to where we are now. People can see it coming. The future of Section 230 and its impact to the tech industry. So Congress is considering 14 bills. Now, again, this is two years ago, and I was looking up so much stuff. I didn't actually have time to follow up where these bills are or if they're gone. But 14 bills during the 21-22 that could amend Section 230, these bills are aimed to either repeal, limit the scope, impose new regulations of 230. And that's what I was talking about a minute ago about we've accelerated so quickly here, we may need to completely rework. So what a couple of examples here. So for example, Disincentivizing internet service censorship of online users and restrictions on speech and expression act or the discourage act aims to remove section 230 protections for market dominant computer services that manipulate algorithms to censor certain materials or viewpoints. Now, again, this yeah. came out of the, you know, 
2020 presidential campaign cycle, things like this, the allegations yeah. about certain platforms that were manipulating it pretty much those, even those platforms. Now, most of them admitted that, well, there was some manipulation for uh, disinformation and blah, 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 blah. Let me decide what's the disinformation in my own life. Okay. I'm going right. to do that. But anyway, that's a different story. Another bill, the 21st century foundation for the right to express engaged in free speech or the 21st Century Free Speech Act acts to repeal Section 230 completely. It would also reclassify internet platforms as common carriers, requiring them to provide services to anyone without discrimination against individual users or classes of users based on political views, religious affiliation, and religion. Now, this may sound a little bit off topic from what we're talking about, kind of deep in the weeds here, about uh, internet predators and you know what role do different platforms play in preventing or allowing or turning a blind eye or things like that publishers not publishers but what this talks about now is these providers getting back to doing what they were supposed to do completely objective with allowing things to be posted and being a filter for things that are, are illegal or certainly inappropriate age-based Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that's not what's happening. These platforms are clearly are clearly biased at the core. Now, how much they stay in the lines based on, you know, certain political pressures and advocacy groups fighting back and lawyers fighting back. That's, you know, that can be discussed on another show. But certainly they lean one way or another and people are fighting to, to keep them objective all the time. So they're not even doing that. They're not even doing that from what I can tell. In addition, in addition, they are not living up to their end of the bargain from 30 years ago when it comes to not allowing this type of content that we're talking about on, on their platforms. And, you know, even to some extent with AI now really being a part of that content flourishing. And this has just gotten way, way outside of what 230 was intended to do in my opinion. Right. So, so you think that because I've always, I, when I hear, I don't know, Hey, I, I want to, I definitely agree with you that there's been censorship along political lines of, of social media content, right? To me, there's no doubt about it, but then I see situations like what I see with the exploitation of children online. And I think if the dollar is king, then isn't the dollar king? In other words, if if there is it is it really uh, that important that they're willing to give up money, you know, give up profitability by by limiting content from from certain political views or whatever it is? You know, is that what the is that what the argument is? That yes. they're willing to sacrifice it is so, so there's in my so they're, in my opinion they're willing, they're willing that, to sacrifice profits yes to okay yes and look i i think we can see that factually now because when we had the the advent of all these other platforms in the last you know two or three or four years that may have divergent political views ideological views from, from some of the more legacy uh platforms mm -hmm. we see the free market actually working um, there, I, I, it's a great question, Bill, about, in other words, 
what what is it worth ideologically to that's, a company to give up right uh, that's what that's profits. what i'm saying because it's we're saying great, on we're yeah. saying on the one hand they're endangering children to maximize profits that's basically what i'm saying i'm yes. saying they're endangering children to maximize profits that's a pretty strong statement right yes but we're saying they're not willing to give up some manner of manipulation of of political content to do the same thing a hundred percent and i think this is where ideology uh, ideology is is so important and by the way it's important to acknowledge it, it that ideology plays a role in in almost everyone's daily lives whether or not the individual is particularly ideological or not but the the owners the the people behind these different platforms it's more important to them in my mind from an ideological a political point of view to push that agenda than it is to maximize profit now i say that believing that they believe that they can do both mm -hmm. in other words from their point of view the majority of people out there, you know, in the United States or Western civilization, the world, you, you, you take your segment of the world population, are more in line with their particular individual ideological views than are not. And mm -hmm. so for them, it's a win-win. But I still think, I mean, in, in their mind, it's a win-win. But I still think that even if they believe that they would lose some level of profitability, they would still push these agendas they would still censor they would still manipulate information they would still say that you know if mark garrett feels that you know this alternative to to covid 19 this this alternative medicine should be tried that's different disinformation that's dangerous no it's not it's 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 my opinion but they are so so ideological that they're willing to chance it that enough people would not agree with that position and and lose that segment of their users. Mm -hmm. I believe that wholeheartedly, and that's just what exactly what's happened. Now, what's happened since you have had all these? I'll, I'll just say these these smaller. What's the word? Not cafe. Uh, there's a word for it. Boutique. But was that boutique? Thank you so much. The style platforms. So many of them. They really have taken some of that market share from again the, the legacy platforms he's like legacy companies and i think what's happened to some extent to some extent that censorship has been reduced now because they don't want to lose that market share look at the pushback look at the pushback from our media when elon musk was in in the process of a, a, acquiring twitter the world's going to come to an end. This man's going to manipulate everything. He's going to sense everybody, so forth and so on. They did not want the free market to, to, to have its way. And namely, they didn't want Elon Musk to have his way. By the way, someone who's certainly not ideologically conservative or Republican or things like this, I think most people would say that he's kind of been a, a loose cannon in so many ways throughout his professional life. But they didn't want that introduced. And then you get the name calling for all the other platforms out there that are not in line with the traditional platforms. It's like, my God, what is it you are afraid of? What exactly is it you are afraid of? And what they're afraid of is, uh, is a loss of market dominance. Here's the thing. Even if, if they 
are completely they they want to censor anything that they are opposed to these legacy platforms as long as they own 95 percent of the market who cares Mm-hmm. If you want to use social media, you have to use one of these platforms unless there is some, something else introduced into the market. So I think that's where they miscalculate it. I think that's the, where they actually accelerate the free market to where it is right now. And, you know, that's my two cents on that. That's more like 75 cents. Yeah. The market, well, you know how we have ratings for movies? We have R movies. We have PG movies. We have G movies. Is there a place you think where with, you know, yeah, hey, platform, you can do what you do. But there's going to be some government body that rates the inerrant danger of your platform, and it may be no kick, no one under eighteen allowed on your platform, and it's up to you to as a as as the platform to verify age, and there's a you know a financial penalty for every person we find that's that's below that age on there. Is there a place for that, or you think that's that's getting that's, is that too much? I guess what I'm asking is, is that too much regulation for you to, well, to start, no, you to know, start again, rating these platforms? Yeah, since, start- since as a society, we, we've already we've already agreed to this. In other words, as like you said, with, with movie ratings and with the purchase of certain products. Here's the thing. It's it's if you walk into a theater, which is not as common as it was when you and I were kids, people were watching everything online, which is this is, an example this is probably right why now. also. What's that? I said this is probably why also. It's probably why. Yeah, yeah. We well, yeah, when you walked into a theater in, in, in nineteen eighty, you know, and it was rated R, you had to show ID, you had to be there with your adult parent or your guardian to get in. Period. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now people had fake IDs, whatever, it's always the ancillary. There's always, you know, ways to get around it. But, but generally speaking, you couldn't get into a theater unless you, unless you were abiding the, you, in line with the law. Now, if a kid has a password to mom or dad's television set or whatever, mm-hmm. they can go and watch the, the, the raunchy stuff. In other words, it's very difficult in those circumstances we're, we're living now to, 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 to regulate, to really police what someone is watching any place because anybody could log into look you could have a parent you know it says you know what now my kid's really mature for 15 years old let me log in let let him or her watch this and who's gonna i mean how do you regulate that no, but i don't but maybe you shouldn't regulate that I, you know i'm not saying you should regulate that but at least in that case a parent is making right the parent not a parent the parent is making the decision yes and i, think I and i to, agree yeah too much yeah. today i think my fear, Mark, is that it's almost like, and I don't know, man, is the government, is our generation, or, or even people younger than us now, are they a little bit of a little bit out of touch about what's going on on these platforms and and what type of content is potentially on these platforms, and as a result, they think, oh no, that's the that's the cute that's the cute platform where you have a filter and it makes you look like a rabbit not knowing that you know th- there's this this sexually explicit content on there that mm-hmm. that a computer is deciding to push to your child so i almost feel like does it need to be you know hey, hey i wish it was this i wish it that i wish we could just make it the parents responsibility mm-hmm. but i feel like the parents do not know what the danger is and I don't know whether in a situation like that, the government then has to step in and just say, 
this, this, and this are, are unsafe for children. If you can't do something about this, you cannot market this product to children. Or is that really an overstep? And is it something that you just has to be one of the risks of parenting? And you have to just, you know, you, you have to just tell your friends and, and, you know, parents have to know that this danger is out there and they need to parent accordingly. Yeah, I think the latter is ultimately, in other words, you you were asking me about, do we need a, you know, more, more federal involvement, regulations like that? I'm totally open to that. It's a very complex, terribly complex issue that, you know, in mm -hmm. other words, we can't come up with an answer to on this show. I don't know if anybody can, but it is a terribly complex issue. But going back to the last thing you said there, Bill, is that ultimately it, it has to come down to parents. It has to come down to parents. I think, in other words, the, the, the reality about fentanyl, the reality about online predators is, mm -hmm. is coming more and more. Look, fentanyl, I think, has kind of hit the crescendo. I think there, 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 there can't be a parent out there who has like the, the least bit of involvement in their kids' daily lives that's not aware now of the, the, the fentanyl crisis. Right. I think we're probably still on the, on the upswing of, of information getting out to parents, which is still surprising to me, but I think we are still there about the dangers of the internet and the predatory nature of people. And I think we're still on a learning curve there. My hope is, look, like everything else, when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to when it comes to government involvement, I am a big fan of small government. I did. I put those words there on purpose. I'm a huge fan of right. small government. In other words, keeping government as small as practical, not possible, not possible, but as small as practical. The 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 least amount of government is to me the ideal because the less government you rely on the more you have to rely on yourself when i say yourself that includes parents mm -hmm. the more you have to rely on yourself as a parent which is the most efficient most direct most effective way to protect your child from these types of dangers not every danger not, you know, breaking your leg playing football or scraping your knee riding your bicycle, but these types of dangers, drugs, online predators, the parents are the first line of defense. And so, yeah, we need government, we need regulations, but at, again, at the lowest pot, uh, practical level, like I always say, we all of us have to learn, all of us have to learn that we as individuals have to be our own first responders, not the police. 30 yard, years in law enforcement, you build 30 years in law enforcement. I'm a big fan of law enforcement. I love the, the rank and file officer. But just like with, with traditional crime, breaking entry and, and car, car theft and assaults and robberies, things like this, Police are usually there after the fact to investigate and hopefully find the criminal after get get him or her in handcuffs and get him in jail. Of course, not in California; they don't go to jail. But anyway, but the same thing is true with parents with with online threats. By the time the police find out about it, often something terrible has already happened. If parents can be the front line, the first line of defense 
it's much more preventable. It's much more likely to see these things won't happen in the first place. Is it tougher now to be a parent than it was when I was growing up? Almost certainly. But it's reality as parents that we have to deal with, especially for people like me with the young child. Yep. And Mark, I think it's easy as parents to prepare for the threats that we were aware of when we were younger or, or the, the dangers that we encountered when we were younger. These new threats that parents don't necessarily know are out there. I, I think that's a, that's a whole new challenge today. And that's why we're seeing a lot of problems. And as promised, Mark, I'm going to end on this. I'm going to tell a story then to explain to parents how a platform is used to traffic drugs. And I'm going to pick on Snapchat just because, like I said, there's a current lawsuit and that forces a lot of information to come to light. So Snap has a feature called Snap Maps, right? So what someone could do, if I'm a drug dealer, I'm going to create a drug menu. And it's, I'll make it colorful. I'll make it uh, attractive. I'll list five or six drugs on there that, that, that I'm selling and the price. And I'm even going to put a QR code on it to add me as a friend, okay? And then I'm going to tag it with a location. Mark, I could tag it with a middle school. I could tag it with a middle school. I could tag it with a shopping mall where there are a lot of kids with money in their pockets. And it will appear on every kid who is at that location, it'll appear on their timeline. Whether we are friends or not, it's going to appear on their timeline. So every kid at that middle school will now see this drug menu, right? They can add me right away with, with the QR code that I put on it to be a friend. And now once I'm friends with them, the algorithm will start recommend, re recommending me as a friend to their friends. So, you know, that's what technology is out there now. I think in a study over in the UK that's mentioned in this lawsuit of, of teens that admit to using drugs, 75% said they get them on social media. So social media has become the number one drug source for teenagers. And then an issue that I think is even more dangerous than that is the sexual predator. Like the incident that we talked about when we opened the show today, hey, we all knew when we were little, if that van pulls up on the street and the door opens, run. It's hard to do that when it's when it's online today. So, Mark, thanks for joining me and talking about this today. It's a I think this story is going to be a huge story this year. It's one of the it's one of the biggest challenges in parenting. And it's one of the things that's endangering our children the most. Thanks for listening, people. And and please take something away from this. And if need be, change the way you parent and be involved. Amen. Thanks, Bill.